welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. I'm so excited to be here, if you couldn't tell already, whether I was, <coughs> worship was amazing, I will never take it for granted. I love that we got to worship at home in our PJs for a bit, but I, let's just say the last eight months has not been what I expected. How about the rest of you? How, how are you really doing? <laughs> like, how, how are you doing? Seriously. Yeah. Uh, it's, been a, it's been one of those seasons, you know? I like to say it's been one of those unique times. Like, seasons makes it sound like it's going to come back. Um, so I'm going to call it, it's, it's been a weird time, and I recognize that some of you have had a blast. Like, yeah, your life has been disrupted, but financially you've been fine, you've loved, this, loved the slow pace of, of not having to go into the office, your finances weren't touched, your family rhythms were healthy, and you didn't have any internal conflict or any Facebook issues with relatives from different parts of the world. Some of you, though, it's been hard. And, and there's no comparative suffering. The only suffering that matters really is yours, and you can't compare it to others. Yes, we care about everyone else's suffering, but you can't compare yours. So we've all had to grieve this unique collective trauma. So I, was, I heard a story of someone in our church that lost six ma- family members to COVID. Yeah. Some of you lost your career, your business, your dream that you were building for your entire life. It just shut down and evaporated. Some of you have just been dealing with the the issues that were there before, like loneliness and depression and anxiety. And we have walked through a season where those things were exasperated by the pressures of life. Um, Some of you have dealt with the, the racial injustices in a very personal way. And watching what should be a human crisis become a political divisive thing, especially in the church, which it's not going to be that here for us. We're going to pursue justice together in biblical ways and grieve with those who grieve and walk with those who are mourning and suffering. And we're going to celebrate with those who are celebrating as well. This has been a strange time. And we're coming back to church. Welcome. <laughs> Glad you're here. Where... Uh, as exciting as it was to, to, you know, figure out this next season during a global pandemic, um, it's very clear to me that we are a gathered people and that we are going to go full on. We will not hold back going after the presence of God. I was reading this morning in Exodus in my quiet time, and I was just reading over that passage where Moses is talking to God, and he's like, Um, Don't send us into this promised land without your presence. What will distinguish us? We we would rather wander in the desert with you than be in a land flowing with milk and honey without you. And then he's like, hey, show me your glory. Like, how ornery is that? (laughs) Moses, you're talking to God. And he's like, I want to see more. Isn't Isn't that the cry of our hearts? Like, who else wants more? I want more. I'm not here for a gathering and a second service. I'm here for more of God. 
I don't know why you're here, but I want to invite you into the space of pursuing God himself. Not, not community, not your self-help, not find the mate, although that's cool. I've met my wife at Rock Harbor Church before we planted. Actually, at, at, at Vanguard University. She was already attending Rock Harbor Church. And do you know what she did as an 18-year-old little girl? 18-year-old little girl, because she's still little, 5'3", my, be, my beautiful baby. She did set up and tear down. She was moving chairs. I was like, that's my boo right there, my future wife. Some of you are like, I'm not serving, but I just said you might find your future wife in the setup and teardown. Take notes. All you single ladies out there. Just kidding. The goal is not to find a mate. It's to pursue God with your singleness. The church is not a space to get you married. The church is to empower you in your Christ-likeness, whether you're single or married, period. Are you with me? We need to change the marriage conversation. There wouldn't be, there wouldn't be a, lot of a ch- lot of church if it wasn't for all those single apostles, right? How are we doing, church? Are we alive and well? Well, I'm supposed to preach on this Emotionally Healthy series, but I knew I was going to have a very long introduction. For those of you watching at home, I don't know what camera's on. I don't even know how to do this quite yet, but I'm so glad I'm not in my garage preaching to a camera. Because <laughs> I can say amen. Amen. Oh, thank you, Lord. Uh, we're going to do, I don't even, we're going to, it's supposed to be out of here at some time. I need everyone to help tear down today because I'm going to go. And we're going to get to ministry time, which I have been praying. Our staff, our elders, our people have been praying for ministry time. We're probably going to get rid of like the first three rows because it will be the sla- splash zone. Not the slain, I was going to slain zone. We don't do that here. I don't know yet. I don't know who's here. <laughs> Lord, would you just preach your word? We're in an emotionally healthy series where we're stealing everything from this, these books by Pete Scazzaro. Um, and it really came out of this question a few months back where God, I was asking the Lord, I was seeking God, and I heard him said, say to me, Darren, if you knew what was coming in 2020, how would you have prepared the garden differently? And I was just convicted. And things that came out of it was we, we really need to prepare us to be disciples, to be resilient disciples who, if there wasn't a space to gather, we're okay, we got this. We are church, we know how to do that. We can, we can host the presence of God in our homes. We can read scripture and worship with our kids in our, our little family union. We could grab our friends in our backyard and do Bible studies and pray for the sick. Yeah, that's who we are. We are the church. Are you with me? And so I was like, He's gotta, you got to go after discipleship. And then I was thinking about all the conflict, all the outrage and canceling happening everywhere. It's a, like the left and the right are Pharisees. They're all ca- canceling anyone that contradicts anyone. And now I understand why we can't say things and we can't have certain things. I get it, but what we have to recognize is we live in a culture of grace. In the kingdom of God, you aren't canceled for what you've done or what you will do tomorrow. You're forgiven. 
The worst of the worst are included. Those dang tax collectors were on the inside. Imagine what, what, that, what that would have looked like for Matthew or Zacchaeus. They got canceled a long time ago, excommunicated from the, the temple, excommunicated from their families, disowned from their families. They couldn't even help their sick parents if they were sick because they wouldn't take that money. It was blood money. Jesus says, you're in. Come on. We got a lot to learn, don't we? From this resurrected, controversial Messiah, Jesus Christ. You see, we're here because of him. Not because of some ideology about him. Not because of some political proposition trying to save America. That's not why we're here. You might have those convictions, but that's not why we're here. We're here because of the resurrected Christ Jesus, period, full stop. And anything that gets in the way of you joining community around him is an idol that needs to be eliminated from your life. Or at least taken a, a back few seats, if you don't mind me saying so. I have convictions about the United States and the things being passed and things that are going to influence my kids and whether or not we'll be able to worship freely in this country or have homeschool as an option. But that's not why we're here. We're here because of the resurrected Messiah, Jesus. And we got to invite people to the center, to the well where there's living water. We got to stop preventing people to even come in by our lifestyle and attitudes and posts. We have become more anti-everything, more hypocritical, more angry. This is, by the way, none of this was planned. I'm just going off the top of my head. If this is my last sermon, so be it. We need to look like Jesus. Not publicly, privately, so that we're in public. It oozes out of us. How many of us, some things oozed out this year? Seriously, how many of you are here and you're like, I don't even know if I'm a Christian based on how I treated my wife. All I know is anger and anxiety and emotional reactivity. All I know is that by the time breakfast comes and the kids are up, I have an attitude that is unbecoming of the person I want to be. I want to look more like Jesus, not for your sake but for my kids' sake, for my wife's sake, so that the outsiders have a chance, have a chance to eat the bread of life. Lord, forgive us for missing it, for making it about our political ideology, for making it about our ideas, for making it about a rule of life. Look, I know I just preached on it, 12 weeks of it. It's not about a rule. It's about a person. It's not about you getting really good at prayer. It's about the person you're praying to. It's not about Sabbath so you can become religious with your time so you can't serve when people are in need. It's about learning to live out of rest. It's not about getting really good, getting off your smartphone. It's about being present to the people around you so that you love them well. Can I just do this for a little bit longer? 
Luckily, there's a book about the topic I'm supposed to preach on. You could just read it. sucks when your friend has a dream that you're not going to preach the sermon and you convince him no I'm definitely preaching the sermon (laughs) who do you want to become there's this passage in Genesis and uh, for some reason I've unfortunately related to this character lately we'll just say the COVID time there's a guy named Jacob Jacob is a twin brother to Esau. He's the younger twin brother. And he's the son of Isaac. And Isaac's the son of Abraham. And Abram Abram becomes Abraham through the promise of God out of obedience. And then he's promised a son. Then his wife has a son, Isaac, uh, after Ishmael. And then then there's this guy named Jacob who's the the son of Isaac. And Jacob's name means supplanter. Um, One who grabs the heel. His name is often referred to as the deceiver. And his life is marked by his family sin of deceiving. Sarah lies, Abraham lies. We see it over and over again. And then there's a story of of Jacob where he robs his brother of his birthright. His brother's hungry. Esau comes in from hunting. I'm going to die. Sell me your birthright. I'll give you some stew. This is in the Bible. What? All right. That sounds like a good trade. Chipotle for salvation or blessing, whatever it is. Yes. Esau got that burrito, lost his birthright. And then Jacob, uh, Jacob's father's dying. And he, his mom favored him. And his mom's like, hey, go get some clothes that look like, you know, a, a dead animal. Because you're like, you're like Darren, who's got no hair, can't grow a beard. Go put on some fake beards. And God, my, the, your dying father is going to bless you as Esau. So he disguises himself as a hairy guy, Esau, and gets his brother's blessing. Deceives his brother. His brother wants to kill him. Now he's divided. And the story is story after story of Jacob just missing out, deceiving, lying, hustling, scheming. He has a name that reflects his character. He has this vision of heaven. And God says to him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you the land that was promised to your ancestors. And then he carries this vision. But along with this vision, he's carrying this brokenness. He's carrying this brokenness about who he is and who God is and his family line. He's got grandpa in his bones, as you would say from last week's sermon. How great was Christian, by the way? Can I get so good? So good. Grandpa in his bones. He's wrestling with who he is. The whole story is that. Eventually, he is blessed. He has a wife. He has two wives, actually. A big family. Becomes successful. He realizes he needs to go back to his brother and work things out. He thinks his brother's going to kill him because this is about following God. And so he sends his family over across the stream in Genesis chapter 32, I think it is, or um, 
And then he sends all of his possessions across the stream. And then you get to this passage, which is a very obscure passage. It's Genesis chapter 32. Again, this is nowhere in my notes. I'm just going off the cuff, if you don't mind me just praying over this, because I feel led to this morning. And it says, verse 23, uh, after he had sent them across the stream, he sent all his possessions. So Jacob is literally stripped alone. He doesn't have his family to hold on to. He doesn't have his stuff to hold on to. He doesn't have his territory because he's left his land, his home, the things that made him comfortable or let him be familiar. He leaves all that behind or he sends it across the water and he's alone and he's by himself. And it's a strategy so that his brother captures one family or kills one. He separates them. I mean, it's that deceitful. But then it says this, it says, so Jacob was left alone and a man, which that man, by the way, in Genesis is connected to the three men in eight that you hear when Abraham has the word about becoming pregnant or his wife becoming pregnant, that's more accurate. It's the same reference. So it's not a man, it's an angel or maybe God himself. And it says, uh, a man wrestled with him till daybreak as you do when you rent a U-Haul and send it away. It's the cra- is this not the weirdest story? All your possessions are gone. You're going to follow God, and he wrestles a man. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as uh, he wrestled with the man. Then he, uh, the man said, let them go. F- uh, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Stay with me. This is so obscure. I know, but it will all make sense in a second. When the man said your name, uh, uh, he said, the man asked him, what's your name? And Jacob said to the man, Jacob. And then the man said, your name will no longer be deceiver, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. I want to think, I think what's happened in this last year for so many of you, is you have been on this journey. And this journey called the Christian life, there's been some things in your life that have caused you to run. You've run from God. You've run from responsibilities. You've run from being that parent you really want to be, that friend that you really want to be. You've been running out of habit, out of past trauma, out of unhealthy emotional toxicity, out of pain, brokenness, out of not being parented well so you don't know any better and so you just know one thing and that's to run. And so you run. But then there gets to a point in your life where you can't run anymore and you're confronted with the crisis. It's just you and God. And so you gotta wrestle. And you notice as you wrestle, you're not just wrestling God. You're wrestling with your false self. You're wrestling with that self that has caused you to act, to emotionally react, to become angry, to become deceitful, to become filled with unforgiveness, to be in those situations where it's just habit. It comes out of you. This is your name kind of unprocessed, unfiltered reactivity. So you wrestle, and you're frustrated, 
You're angry. You're heartbroken. You're disappointed. You're lonely. You're isolated. Some of you are not even here in this room, and you're going to watch this online. I don't know what camera's on me. And you have been so isolated and alone, the enemy has used these circumstances to play you like a tool. And this thing that you are in the middle of, this wrestling, you think it's the enemy doing it to you. And yes, now he's got a foothold because patterns have come into your life that are not of Christ. Habits have taken over that are ungodly and unholy. And you haven't repented. And you haven't humbled yourself before the Lord and say, no, I'm not sinning against my wife. I'm sinning against you, God. And so you've become this person who doesn't know who they are or where they stand or how to identify themselves because there's a wrestling going on. And this wrestling is all being done around your, your possessions being gone. Your identity being wrestled with because your job is no longer what it was. You can't just show up to a crowd and woo people to liking you. You have to be one-on-one and deal with the vulnerability of being known and the fear of not being enough. And you're in this wrestle with these old habits, these old patterns, this false identity that has given you so, that some of that false identity has protected some of you because it came out of a place of trauma and pain. But it's no longer necessary for the journey. I grew up super insecure. Suicidal at one point. Anxious, depressed, self-hatred beyond what you can imagine. To where my, my married self struggled with insecurity, how I looked, what people thought of. I mean, dripping with insecurity. But I realized that the false self that I projected, this need to make everyone happy, this performer that came out, was born out of pain and insecurity. And it came out at a moment where I was suicidal. And by the grace of God, this false self protected me from suicide. Now that's deep. This is my own inner working. But there came a point where I recognized that and I realized that that person was showing up when God didn't want to meet that person. God can't meet the false self. He can only meet your true self. And it got to this point where I had to recognize and I wrote this letter to him. I wrote a letter to him thanking the false self. This is all internal work for saving my life. And then I said, I no longer need you. You can go now. And it's been this journey of freedom But this wrestling, brothers and sisters, that you're going through, collectively, that we are going through, phase one is some of you haven't even started the wrestle. You keep running. Stop running. And go into the fight because there's there's a, a significant, loving, benevolent, gracious, extravagantly generous being who is God, who is doing the wrestling. You are as, as much wrestling him is what we learned from the story of Jacob it, as much as God is wrestling Jacob. So Jacob thinks I'm wrestling God. Can Jacob overpower God? No is the right answer. It's hilarious. Of course not. He could smite him with lightning in that moment. 
because smiting is a thing. <laughs> that most people think is found in our Bible, but it's not. <laughs> Loving is our God's name. Love. So you run and then you wrestle with God or the perceived view of God and your false self. And then you get to this point of awareness where it wasn't you wrestling, it was God doing the wrestling. This collective trauma that we've all experienced that has hit us in different places in different ways is part of our Christian story, a part of our journey. For some of us, it's been great. For most of us, all sorts of things have oozed out and we're like, is that who I really am? And God's saying, no. The world wants you to believe that's who you are. The devil wants you to believe that is who you are because he wants to steal the joy that God wants to give you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to keep you in prison. He wants you to keep holding on to that false self because false self doesn't know grace. False self only knows more works, not enough. Prove by what I do. Make people happy. True self sits in its belovedness knowing it doesn't matter what I do. I am the Abba's child. I'm more than enough. Which is why I can confidently say, God loves you, but I'm his favorite. <laughs> we have to get to that place, brothers and sisters, on this Christian journey where we move from running. We recognize that there needs to be a wrestling. And we come out the other side with a new name. And I think some of you have picked up a name over this last year. And God wants to give you a new one. Today. You see... As much as the rule of life is important, we need rhythms and disciplines to hold us grounded in seasons like we just went through. What we need more than anything is the presence of God. What we, meet, what we need more than a good prayer life is the ability to enter into God's presence, to know how to sit and hear his voice, how to be alone with God and read his word, but know that he's here and collectively come together and say, come Holy Spirit. Do what can happen only by your power, not by discipline, not by a rule, not by an ability uh, to get really smart or, or to have the right thing or to, to perform the right way, but because we're, we've humbled ourselves. We've humbled ourselves together and we just say, come Holy Spirit, I want a new name. Come Holy Spirit, I want to be set free from that addiction. Come Holy Spirit, I'm done I'm done being the emotional, reactive, angry father. You got to transform me from the inside out. I can't do enough disciplines to make it happen. You, by the power of your spirit, can set me free. This is what you say. We need more of you, Holy Spirit, in our lives. So, we say, come Holy Spirit. How long have I been going? Anybody know? Five minutes. <laughs> There's some great content on this iPad right here. I'll just air drop. Can I send you my notes later? Uh, if you're new, welcome to Garden Church. This is the best of Garden Church. There's no sermon that will convince you of it. No matter how well thought out or how great the power, PowerPoints are, um, <laughs> it's God. <laughs> like, sorry, sorry, no power. That's right, that's right. Um, there's this, yeah, okay. 
you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to release it. There's this great chapter called Going Through the Wall in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. We'll put up on a link the Pete Scazzaro podcast. We'll send the notes out so you can get it into your group. It's, it's somewhat of what I talked about. There's a lot of that that can apply. The idea is that we're all on a unique journey. We're all going through various stages of the Christian faith. It begins with awareness. It moves to discipleship. It moves into active working through our life with serving people, which we should all do, by the way, because my kids came also with John's kids and Pastor Brian's kids, and we all set up these chairs yesterday. It was delightful. But I was sore. I was very sore. And um, it would be great to have way more help. And now that you know, you get to do it because you're family. We're family. I'm not... We're family in the church, Lord Jesus Christ, the church, Lord Jesus Christ. The consumer-oriented church is an antichrist church. Stop consuming communities, friends. Be it. You don't get to cherry-pick your church expression and experiences. Pick one. And if it's not this one, great. Go to the other one. God bless you. I bless you on that journey. I want to do something different. I want to look like the Bible. I want this church, my dream for this next season is that there would be people running into service because there's not enough space because they they experience the presence of God. Not because of teaching, but because they experience God's presence. Like people are going to get healed in worship. People are going to pray in tongues. They're going to prophesy. People are going to welcome outsiders in. They're going to give their lives to Jesus before anyone can say, this is about Jesus. It's going to happen here. I believe that. That's what I want to be a part of. I don't want to make a church in the image of culture. That is antichrist. It's the devil's doing. And he gets us obsessed with influence and ideas that we should be successful and it looks big. When Jesus washes the feet of disciples and says, this is what real greatness looks like. Hey, but I don't have time for that. And there's no coffee at this church. And I don't believe in masks, so why do I even show up? But some of you don't believe in masks, but you did show up, so thank you. Because you're modeling for everyone what it looks to lay down your life through putting on a mask. And I know some of you, we've had this conversation, and it gives me hope for unity in the church because we can be on different sides, but united on Christ. This is what this church is going to be about. I was talking about the stages of Christian faith. And I got distracted. Three is that. Number four is the wall. At some point, this is great. This is great for me. I haven't done this. So it's, I've been, I've been stretching at home, ready for this moment, like for a year. When do I get to go? Put me in, coach. Coach is God. Put me in, coach. I've been preaching to my four-year-old, my three-year-old. He's almost four. Preaching to my three-year-old. He hates my jokes. It's totally fine. He likes bathroom talk, so I could say anything with the bathroom word in it. It's totally fine. He loves it, so I'm not going to do that here. But I see the four-year-old over here. I see you. You hit a wall on your journey. And at some point, you have to, you have to recognize that that wall is there for a reason. And this is so important. Some people call it the dark, actually St. John of the Cross wrote about it. It's called the dark night of the soul. It's where all the old disciplines, all the feelings of God evaporate. You don't see him, you don't see his presence, you don't experience him the way you used to. And it becomes a crisis, a moment of crisis in your faith. Now, 
the dark night of the soul is a deep thing. It's not, it's not like, like, for example, I have a friend on staff. I won't give his name. His name's Michael Petrilla. And <laughs> he had been listening to John Mark's podcast at The Way about dark night of the soul. He'd been reading about it. And in the book, St. John of the Cross, his 500-page work on dark night of the soul. And he came to staff one day. It was so great. I asked for permission. He said I could say it. So don't, you guys are like, ah. Oh. Um, He's sitting there, no joke, he's sitting there. We're all going around giving updates, and he's just like, oh, gosh, I don't know. Like, I just feel like I'm in a dark night of the soul. <laughs> like, really don't feel like the Lord is, is with me. I just, you know, he's just describing this, and I'm like, I'm like listening. I've been walking with him. Like, I literally, I'm like, bro, you're not in a dark night of the soul. I'm like, that is not, I don't want you to speak that over your life. Like, that is not what's going on. You're having a bad day or something. A few days later, he's like, I was day seven on the Whole30 diet. <laughs> and for those of you that have done the Whole30, that's a dark night of the soul, no doubt in my mind. Best illustration for what the dark night feels like in general, just exponentially so in the spirit. So eventually you go through the season where you, all those superficial things, like for Peter, he denies Jesus, Right? I never knew him. And, and the, he hits a wall on his journey. What's the wall? I, I'm just going to, my assessment is he's seeing Jesus being crucified. No way in his mind, even though Jesus said it multiple times, was Jesus going to be crucified. That, that doesn't compute with any of his disciples. It doesn't make sense. Mes Would-be messiahs are crucified, not the real messiah. So he's, he's now going, no, 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 the, this is where we take up a sword, chop off ears, we fight, we're going to go. And he sees Jesus being questioned. He's not putting up a protest. He's not calling for armies of heaven to defeat the Romans. He's going willfully into the cross. And he's like, I don't know him. Because he didn't. He had to wrestle with his superficial, man-made idea of Jesus and accept that Jesus calls us into powerlessness, calls us into surrender, calls us into self-sacrificial love, and that is the great reversal. As you wrestle with God through the dark night of the soul, through the wall, you go inward to wrestle with the things that you need to reveal, that God wants to reveal, so that you experience his love without necessarily the feelings of the love. In our culture, emotions are not the same thing as reality. Let me just say that again for the people in the back. Emotions are not the same thing as reality. Emotions should not drive the car. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. But in the church world, feeling God's presence is not the same as God's presence. And so we go through this season where we come up out the other side, stage five, and this is in Pete Scazzaro's book, is you begin to do active life again, but from a different source. You're not doing it to prove. You're not doing it out of uncertainty. You're not doing it out of this un unknowable experience of God, this desire to make him happy. You do it from a, a content space of delight and rest and love. And then it gets to six, which is the stage of uh, life is an example of love, where all of life is about living out of obedient love with God. And that's, that's in his book. So those are the six stages. That's one of the things I want to talk about today. So I'll just leave you with that. But I think I'm just going to pause and just say we are all on a unique journey. 
And you must wrestle with the things that need to be wrestled with and allow God to wrestle them out of your life. For some of you, it might be repenting today. Recognizing, yes, Darren named the space of my life that needs to be reoriented to God and I need to turn back to him in this moment. Some of you, it's just the life recognition, maybe for the first or second time, that Jesus is Lord, that you've missed it, that you've added him to your life like an accessory. And for many of us, it's going to be hard to come back to church like this because it is comfortable to do church on our own time, isn't it? With this on-demand culture, church on-demand sounds amazing. I don't have to talk to people for all you introverts. All the extroverts are like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. It's been hell at home. <laughs> Literally, Gehenna, like weeping of gnashing and teeth. That's me Sunday mornings saying amen by myself with the TV on. <laughs> Some of you need to recommit to community. Some of you need to give generously. I want to say this. We need to fund this gathering. It's going to cost three times the amount as Franklin. We've secured this for about a year. We can be here. There's going to be limitations to it, but the greatest limitation is the finances. Some of you need to give more than you've been giving. Some of you have abundance of wealth. Give generously. If you value this space, this real, tangible, flesh and blood space, give to it. Serve here. Be a part of this next season. If you've been here for 12 years since we started, we're just getting started today. There is a new season upon us. So if you're in Costa Mesa, checking us out occasionally, going to other churches, it's time to commit. It's time to be on journey together. There is no individual journey. It's a collective journey. We can be in different places, but we're on it together. So brothers and sisters, don't hold back. Go all in. This, this city, this world needs a real vibrant church that looks like Jesus. And that's all I got for the sermon today. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.